The Australasian travel industry continues to weather the COVID-19 storm, and we continue to bring you all the latest updates, which this week seem to have a little bit of positivity for a very welcome change. We've heard some very upbeat predictions from our political leaders, the vaccine is on track, and we're even managing a couple of minor COVID-19 outbreaks without slamming down every border across the country. Huge news. So let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper, and this is News on the Fly. So Bruce, after almost a year of negativity about travel and cruise prospects, this week we saw a welcome change in rhetoric, particularly from recently appointed Minister for Trade, Tourism and Investment, Dan Tehan. What did he say, Bruce? Yeah, look, this is a great breakthrough. Um, After all the controversy over cruise in the early stages of the pandemic, I'm sure that many in the industry would never think they would hear the C word coming out of the mouth of a politician again, at least in a positive way. But lo and behold, on one of the morning TV shows, I think it was the Today Show, Dan Tian actually said cruising was safe, the protocols are, you know, are excellent, and that consumers should have no hesitation in booking a cruise holiday. Um, This was all sort of in the context of this new Tourism Australia Holiday Here This Year campaign. And of course, he was also encouraging, you know, domestic tourism on land. But I did think it was a really interesting admission and definitely signals a shift in the government's thinking. And why do you think he was so positive? What's made this change? Um, Yes, look, as I said, he was, you know, he was banging the drum about the the new Tourism Australia campaign and sort of just trying to be upbeat about any sort of uh, support for the travel and tourism industry. But uh, on top of that, it's my understanding that CLIA, uh, Cruise Lines Industry Association, has been working very closely with the new minister's office, uh, giving him plenty of briefings and, and his staff, as well as meetings with AFTA. And I think next week, Cato are also um, meeting with him. So there's lots of education going on. And it seems that he is, uh, you know, he gets it. Uh, you know, he is definitely across the issues that the industry is facing Clearly, the message is getting through, um, and what I'm hearing quite widely from from the people who've had discussions with him is that he is receptive and you know understands what we're all going through. And so, with that positivity, do you think he's also receptive to the idea of a JobKeeper extension for the industry? Look, this is a tricky one. You know, on one hand, and I think this is you know part of the issue with these mixed messages that the industry is sending. On one hand, we're saying that you know save the travel industry, we're all about to collapse. You know, we desperately need help. But on the other hand, really, what's going to drive that is consumer confidence. And and you know, to be honest, that save the tourism industry campaign is not helping with consumer confidence. Look. You know, will he push for a JobKeeper extension? Look, definitely. I I think that he does understand what we're all going through, and I think that's also reflective of his rhetoric. He he understands the need to actually get things going again and, um, you know, really get people booking because, in the end, you know, government handouts aren't going to save us. What's going to save us is actually a return to normality. I think you can safely say that he will be pushing with his Cabinet colleagues for some ongoing support for the industry. My understanding is we're unlikely to hear anything really concrete until after this current parliamentary session, um, perhaps mid-March, um, which is you know very down to the wire in terms of the end of JobKeeper. I suspect it will also be something that's much wider than just tourism and travel. Um, I think it'll apply to any businesses that are still experiencing a major downturn in turnover, say 70% or 50%, perhaps it'll be tiered back. Um, to you know, lower levels of payments for those who aren't suffering as badly. Um, that's certainly what I've been suggesting in my own very limited lobbying efforts. And so, of course, if, if that happens, I'm going to claim all the credit. 
And what are some of the other big industry stories this week? Look, uh, in our team, we feel it's been a bit of a quiet week news-wise, um, perhaps the calm before the storm, because before the end of the month, all of our listed companies like Hello World, Flight Centre, Webjet, Corporate Travel Management, etc., will have to report their half-year results. And I think there will be some pretty interesting stuff in there. Um, there has been some talk in Parliament, um, particularly the revelations that Hello World is asking staff to take a, post, a, a pay cut once JobKeeper ends. It's a look. It's a very political, you know, campaign. Really, the Labor Party is opposed to some changes to workplace laws, and Hello World's sort of been dragged into it. I think because of the links between uh, Andrew Burns, the CEO, and uh, the Liberal Party. Um, interestingly, the, all the commentary that we got um, about this issue was from people in the industry saying, "Look, they would be absolutely thrilled to be um, to just have a job, even if it only paid seventy or eighty percent of their pre-COVID salary." So, you know, I don't think the campaign really resonated within the industry at all. Other news, Globus has announced a policy requiring travellers to verify that they've had a vaccination or a a negative COVID-19 test. Um, I'm sure all of their competitors will follow suit very quickly. You know, vaccination certificates and all that sort of thing are going to become, uh, you know, much more important in determining the future of travel. And on that topic, the government also confirmed that it's got a major IT project underway, which will allow people to be able to prove that they're that they have been vaccinated, you know, through some sort of an app. So that's a really important building block for the resumption of the industry. And finally, look, there's also a bit of corporate activity happening. We've heard that G Adventures has taken some private equity funding from um, a major group called Sataris. Interestingly, that company also owns a big stake in American Express um, Global Business Travel. And they're also a major shareholder alongside the McGeary family, the APT owners, in Armour Waterways in Europe. So, you know, sort of a bit of synergy there. Um, we've also seen Luxury Escapes. They've acquired uh, a some technology in the form of a New York-based um, app, which allows people to make in-destination purchases. And so that will be an interesting uh, thing for Luxury Escapes to be able to offer to its um, hotel clients, um, the ability for to sort of get incremental revenue very easily through a Luxury Escapes app while they're actually in-destination. So that's quite an interesting evolution. Mm, Interesting indeed. Well, we can look forward to what I'm sure will be some fascinating revelations in the next couple of weeks from all those half-year results. So definitely watch this space. This year, Travel Daily is continuing our weekly feature showcasing recipes from around the world, and we need your help. We're looking for dishes that use chocolate in the lead-up to Easter. Whether they're desserts, savoury dishes, snacks or beverages, submit your recipes from around the world to chocolate at traveldaily.com.au and keep reading Travel Daily and Travel and Cruise Weekly to see if your recipe gets featured. Let's stay on the sweeter side of life. Well, despite some backward steps in New Zealand recently, there appears to be increasing optimism about a cruise restart, particularly with several operators already conducting successful safe operations in other parts of the world. Cruise Weekly Associate Editor Miles Stedman spoke to MSC Cruises MD Australasia, Alessandro Guerreri, about how MSC is making it work in the Mediterranean. So Miles, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us what MSC is up to? How long have they been operating? Did they shut down? Where are they cruising? What's going on with them? 
So MSC restarted cruising in the Mediterranean around mid last year. Uh, I think it was August for MSC Grandiosa and October for MSC Magnifica. Uh, Grandiosa was sailing and still is sailing basically week long itineraries out of uh, Genoa. And Magnifica was sailing uh, a range of Greek voyages, which has since been stopped uh, by the Greek government, not by anything that has happened uh, aboard the ship. So I guess the main point is neither ship has had to halt any of its itineraries due to onboard coronavirus or anything of the sort, which is uh, a real real positive for cruising. And who's on board? Is it just Italians or is there also other Europeans? No, uh, basically uh, all Europeans from the Schengen area, which uh, consists of most of mainland Europe, are allowed aboard. Um, I did ask Alessandro of the the guest mate company. He wasn't uh, keen to share, but um, the the cruisers are visiting Mal- outside of Italy. The cruisers are visiting Malta and, as I said, uh, and in Greece with uh, Magnifica. Mm. And so what did Alessandro say about their protocols? What are they doing and why is it working? So he thinks the the reason that it's working so well is the adaptability and that they're constantly monitoring the the pandemic and how it's evolving. And of course, he believes they've set the the benchmark in, in terms of onboard protocols as well. But uh, frequency of testing is is it was a big point for uh, Alessandro. He believes that uh, they started out the voyages testing once pre embarkation and have now doubled that to pre-embarkation and on the fourth day of the cruise and crew members who are obviously aboard the ship permanently they're tested each week and anyone coming aboard the ship whether it's from a shore excursion uh, is of course tested and and again um, and uh, temperature screened as well. Hmm. So very frequent testing really and that sounds like it's working. How many passengers have they carried so far? And is it only the Mediterranean at this stage or do they have sort of plans to expand the pilot scheme to other countries? So they've carried about 40,000 passengers thus far, which is a lot given the size of the ships and that they're not completely full. And there was initially plans to expand the program to Japan, hopefully by April, but obviously things have changed in that country since. So we're not exactly sure whether that will be the timeline for a Japanese restart. But he he did say that indeed they were speaking to uh, different organisations in different parts of the world about a potential restart because obviously the, the proof is there that it can be done in one country successfully. Mm. And are any other cruise companies operating COVID-safe cruises at the moment? There is, and, and obviously the big success story is, is Singapore and, and their restart with both Dream Cruises and Royal Caribbean International. Uh, both of which have been extended this week until the middle of the year, which is fantastic news. They too, neither of them have had uh, coronavirus aboard, despite an initial false positive from Royal Caribbean. And, and of course, uh, back home, which I think we'll get into a bit more uh, later, is, is Coral. Mm, so tell me more about that Coral restart. Have they been successful in Australia? Yes, they, they have had a successful restart here and they've, of course, had no coronavirus cases either. Um, they've been, uh, I guess, rapidly expanding their deployment. They It was originally WA in, in the Western Australian coast and now they've sort of moved around to South Australia and there's been um, talk that they'll be sailing on their annual Tasmanian season as well. So, look, there's a number of states there that have, have allowed it to restart. So, 
you know, hopefully within the year we've we've got a full coral slate of, of itineraries and, and, you know, hopefully other cruise lines will join them as well by then, fingers crossed. And so what about Australia as a whole? Doesn't that success mean that we could restart cruising here too? Do you think we might see a similar opportunity for restart soon? I certainly hope so. Um, and, you know, we, we have been following Asia quite earnestly at the, the start of the pandemic in, in tracking how they were handling outbreaks and what sort of protocols they had in place. So hopefully our government is wise enough to see that they're able to have uh, safe cruise holidays in Asia for uh, in Singapore for Singaporeans. So why not be able to have the same thing in Australia for Australians? And, and obviously that was buoyed a lot this week with tourism, the new tourism minister, Dan Tehan, uh, who is, is now I'm sure very popular in the travel industry after he expressed his, his what seemed like his earnest uh, positivity for both cruising and for tourism in general and, and told everyone to go out and book a cruise and that they can be confident in the cruise industry and that he'd been in dialogue with with Claire and, and Joel Katz from Claire and that, you know, hopefully that that would be able to uh, restart sooner or later. And unfortunately, he didn't give us any dates or anything like that. But look, that level of positivity from uh, a politician about our industry is, is really exciting, especially uh, especially given how the, the I guess the, how slow the government has been to um, to to warm up to tourism's proposals, let's say. Let's hope so. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Miles. And to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the cruise industry, subscribe to Cruise Weekly for a daily update. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this week. Thank you for joining us. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe and tell your friends because we so appreciate all your support. We will be back next week with more news on the fly.